This breakout session with Eric Sandor was recorded at David's Tent 2018. So I just want to bring up Eric Sandor. Let me take it away. Well, thank you, Alan. Thank all of you for the warm welcome. It's a, it's a real privilege to have an opportunity to speak with you today. Um, how many of you came to my talk last year? There are a few. God bless you. <laughs> Super extra blessings for you. Um, today we're going to talk about pursuing intimacy with God. And the talk is based on a sermon I gave in my church. Um, and, you know, sometimes at church they give you a title and they give you a passage and they give you a date. And that's, you're preaching on that subject, on that passage, on that date. And the, the title was Pursuing His Presence. And, you know, I'm someone who, who wrestles with language and who really pays attention to words. And, and the talking about God's presence, there's always something about that that rankled with me. Because I wouldn't talk about being in my dad's presence or my wife's presence the presence of a friend or the presence of a lover. And so I always felt that that was an inadequate word to describe what we're talking about. And as you think about it, God's presence is always with us, isn't he? His presence is a given. We should be really clear about that. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. You can't go anywhere to get away from him. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's awesome. You're walking down the road. You're walking through a valley of hardship. He's right here. You can whisper to him. He's so close. His presence is a given. How we respond is the key. How we respond shapes our life, shapes our identity, our relationships, our future. And so I prefer not to talk about pursuing his presence, but pursuing intimacy with God. You know, at the Last Supper, all the disciples were with Jesus in the upper room. They were all in his presence. But John leaned over and he put his head on Jesus' chest. He pursued and enjoyed intimacy with Jesus while all the other disciples were in his presence. They were there. I want to be the guy who puts his head on Jesus' chest. Do you want to be that kind of people? This is who we are. This is the David's Tent community. We're the people who lean over and put our heads on Jesus' chest. We want to be close to him, hear his heartbeat, know what he's feeling about, what he's thinking about. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about pursuing intimacy with God, enjoying intimacy with him, and what this means for us today as the community of David's tent. Does that sound good for you? It sounds like a simple three steps. We'll go, we'll meander all over the place across those three steps. Um, the passage that was given to me at church was Exodus 33. 
about Moses. And it's a conversation that Moses is having with the Lord. And again, I thought, you know, Moses, really? I'm going to preach on Moses and pursuing his presence. And, and so I studied Moses, and I was so surprised by what I found. I was so surprised to see that Moses is such an awesome example to us of someone who pursued intimacy with God. Before Exodus 33, a lot happens with Moses, and those of you who have seen the Prince of Egypt know some of the highlights. Um, Moses and the Israelites, you know, they got out of, out of Egypt, they camped at the, the base of Mount Sinai, and it was about six months after they left Egypt that were in chapter 33. And it's the sixth time that Moses has climbed up the mountain to be with God while the Israelites have been camping at the base of the mountain. They've been there for about three months at the base of the mountain. And during Moses' first four visits up and down the mountain with the Lord, he'd received all the laws that Israel needed for their society. And he received a new covenant, a new blessing, a promise from the Lord that went beyond Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was saying to Moses, I'm going to do all these things for the Israelites if you accept my commands and you abide by them. And so after that fourth trip up the mountain, Moses came down and asked the people, laid it all out. This is what we've got to do. This is what God's going to do for us, to bless us. But we have to be all in and we have to accept this. And the people said, yes, we're in. We accept, we accept all the rules. And God had promised Moses, if they accept, when you come up the fifth time, I'm going to write these Ten Commandments on stone tablets with my own hand, my own finger, it says, as a sign of my covenant with, with you. And so Moses went up the mountain the fifth time thinking, this is exciting. I'm going to get these miraculous stone tablets. And the people really anticipated Moses coming back after this fifth visit. And Moses stayed up there the fifth time, 40 days and 40 nights, the longest ever time he had been away. And so the people were all wondering what's going on. Meanwhile, on that fifth visit, God said, you know what? I'm going to go beyond what I told you. The truth is, I want to tabernacle with you. I want to dwell with you. I want to be your God and for you to be my people. And, he, and, and God gave Moses this blueprint for how he could dwell in the midst of his people. God prescribed all these details of the materials to be used, the design of the tabernacle. And the word tabernacle, you know, we translate tent. Tabernacle literally means dwelling place. So he literally wanted to tabernacle with the people. And so these specifications he gave, how to make the tabernacle, the clothes the priests should wear, how they should be consecrated. He even told Moses which people had the natural gifts, the spiritual gifts, to build this tabernacle for him. And I think this fifth visit for, for Moses, hi Ruthann, was epic. 
It was an epic time for Moses. I mean, his mind must have been blown. He, he was in heaven. He's thinking, wow, the God of the universe, he's, he's going beyond these other promises. He wants to dwell with us. And God said, build this tabernacle right at the foot of Mount Sinai, where they were at the top. Build it here, and we're going to do this. And so at the end of this 40 days and 40 nights, God gives Moses the stone tablets. <laughs> and, you know, all of Moses' Christmases have come. And God says, you know what? The people have already broken our, our covenant. They're worshiping a golden calf down at the bottom of the mountain. And God said to Moses, I am sick and tired of these people. Here's an idea, Moses. Because he's been speaking with Moses like face to face like a friend, Exodus tells us. Moses was enjoying not quite intimacy, but he was close to God. And they were face to face relating like friends. And God says to Moses, here's an idea. I'll kill them all. Get, and I'll start again with you and your family. Think about it. God says to you, you, I'm going to start again with you and your family. You can have all the promised land just for you and your family. Let's start there. That'll work. And what does Moses say? <laughs> no, no way. Don't do that. Pleads with God. God relents, says, okay, he won't do that. Moses goes down the mountain, finds the people out of control, throws these precious tablets to the ground. They shatter. And Moses' dreams have all, all, all disappeared. And he tells the priests, go and kill everybody who seems out of control. And the priests kill 3,000 Israelites that day with the sword. It was a disaster. And Moses says, I'm going back up the mountain to talk to God, to plead for, for forgiveness for all of you guys. Because he liked being on the mountain with God. So he went back up the sixth time. And that was this passage I was given from church, chapter 33. And he goes to God. And, and God says, do you know what, Moses? I'm going to give you the promised land. You take the Israelites. You go to the promised land. You can have it. I'll send an angel with you. I'll protect you. I'll keep you safe. I'll honor the promises I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Promised land is yours. But I'm not going with you. Because if I did, I'd probably kill you all. And Moses says, no, I'm not going without you. He says, I don't want the promised land. I don't want all your gifts and your blessings if I can't have you. No. You see, God was saying, you know that 40 days and 40 nights we spent together on the mountain where I told you all about the tabernacle? Forget about it. That's off the table. Just go and take the promised land. And the Israelites knew him as the Lord who brought them up out of Egypt. That's how they referred to him. That was God's identity and how they knew him. The Lord who brought us up out of Egypt. Presumably in their minds to just give them the promised land. But Moses sees that there's more. And his reaction to God saying go ahead and take the promised land. You can have it all. I'm not going to kill everybody. You can have what you ask for, Moses. 
just take them in and it's yours. His response is no. I want the promised relationship with you. I'm not going anywhere without you. Otherwise, just kill me as well. He's willing to lay his life down for these people who really irritated him, actually. He found them very difficult to to stomach and to endure. And God says to Moses, okay, all right, I'll still dwell with you. And then Moses, because he's beginning to get a feel for this, how this relationship with God works, he goes further in chapter 33. He says, now show me your glory. He's got what he wants, but that's actually, he can't stop himself. He wants to know God better. He wants to understand his ways. He says, now show me your glory. And what does the Lord do? How does the Lord respond to these repeated requests of Moses? He indulges him. And God says, all right, I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you. Um, (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine all of God's goodness passing before you? How overwhelming that would be? So Moses, I learned, is an awesome example to us. And, and we have to take a moment to admire him. He passed a massive ego test, didn't he? His family, his name, having all of the promised lands, he said, no, I don't want that. See, God was testing him God was provoking Moses to see how does he respond when I agitate him? How does he respond? What does he really want? And God rewards when Moses is honest with him and stands up for what he wants. Moses is a great example to us, I think, in David's tent in two ways. Firstly, he pursues intimacy with God more than anything else. That's his priority, right? We've just seen that. More than fame, more than wealth, more than success, more than God's promises, God's gifts, God's blessings, more than even his life's purpose of of bringing the Israelites into the promised land, more than his life's dream. Think of everything you care about and want and dream for yourself in the future. Moses says, all of that I put secondary, I just want to be closer to you, God. I want to understand you. I want to get to know you better and better and better. I want to be close to you. This is, this is our example. This is what Moses did, which I think is awesome. The second way that Moses is a, a fantastic example for us is he wrestled with God. And he wrestled with God for himself and for others. And I'll talk a little bit about what I mean by wrestling with God. You see, wrestling with God is when you have a beef with him, as the Americans would say, I don't know if if you understand that. When you have something, God's disappointed you or you don't understand something, you've been let down, you're angry, something is unjust, you tell him. You tell it like it is. 
You're honest with him. Can you have intimacy without honesty? It's such a necessary precondition. You know, some of the Psalms are great examples of wrestling, and sometimes we miss it. Psalm, Psalm 44, Psalm 44 is a great example of what it's like to wrestle with God. The first half of the Psalm, the Psalmist is saying, God, you, you took us up out of Egypt, you defeated all our enemies, you protected us, and it's giving God glory and credit for a long history of achievements saying it wasn't our swords that defeated our enemies, it was you, you did this. And, and, and this is incredible. And so I'm not gonna trust in my bow or my sword, I'm gonna trust in you. And that's the first half, and that's all, all nice and good, right? And proper. And then there's this word, salah, which you see sometimes in Psalms. And salah, I think about as, so what? Salah is kind of like a pause and reflection. The psalmist kind of says, okay, ah. That's all true. Now, how do I feel about that? And then the next part of Psalm 44 is the psalmist pointing the finger at God and saying, but you abandoned us. You let our enemies overtake us. You let us die in the field over there. You, 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 you did this to us, the psalmist says, seven times in five verses. You see, when we wrestle with God, we stand up to him like, an, like a snotty teenager, kind of, right? If any of you have teenage children, my, my teenage children are wonderful, <laughs> much better than I was as a teenager. But you see, the way we grow up into who we're meant to be is by standing up to our parents and arguing. And it's the same in our relationship with God. So the psalmist is saying, you know, I'm giving you credit for all this good stuff. I'm blaming you for all this bad stuff. It's a prayer of lament. Jeremiah the prophet was such a lamenter. There's a whole book called Lamentations. And this is a type of prayer that people don't really understand well these days. And it's kind of neglected, but it's very legitimate, a prayer of lament. It's saying to the Lord, it's getting real with him and saying, I don't understand this. This really upsets me. And this is how I feel about it. And Psalm 44 ends showing you also the pattern of what happens when you get real with God. Psalm 44 ends with the psalmist kind of being emboldened and saying to God, rise up, wake up and crush our enemies. He's got all this faith at the end for what God wants to do. Because when you get honest with God, you also begin to get a feel for his heart. If you're really being honest, you're really kind of listening and engaging with him. And Psalm 44 ends with, so I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. That's where he ends. And that's where we all end up. Because that, that's, all, that's all we can do is trust in his unfailing love and get a realization that God's love is the most powerful force in the universe and his love never fails. We, that's where we put our trust in the fact that he is love and he loves us. This is wrestling with God. And Moses wrestled with God 
for himself, for what he wanted, but he wrestled with God on behalf of the people. He wasn't willing to let go of the opportunity of being with God and enjoying God. And he wasn't willing to allow others to be outside the tent and to miss out. He wrestled on behalf of other people so that they too could enjoy intimacy with God. That's the kind of people we want to be in David's tent. People who wrestle with God for ourselves and for others. Do you want to be the, that kind of person? Yeah, I thought so. So this is pursuing in- intimacy and how Moses was a great example to us of pursuing intimacy. But what do you think motivated Moses? Why was he so interested in being intimate with God? Why did he put it first, do you think? I'll tell you why. It's because he enjoyed being with God. Because it was pleasurable. Because the experiences he had on the mountain with God so impacted him and gave him so much pleasure, it motivated him, he wanted more. It's really simple. Actually, we pursue intimacy with God because we enjoy it. We love him because he first loved us. And so pursuing intimacy with God really requires us to begin to enter in and we see how, how lovely God is and how much he cares about us, and how much he loves us. And then that stimulates us to pursue more. You're all here at David's tent because you enjoy it, right? I hope so. You're in the tent worshiping because it's pleasurable. That is by design. There is nothing wrong with that. That's the way God set it up. It's pleasurable to worship the Lord. We were designed, our spirits were designed for intimacy with the Lord. And so as we, as we orient our spirit towards him and we begin to enjoy intimacy, it's pleasurable. And so in a sense, pursuing intimacy with God is selfish. We're doing it for selfish reasons because we enjoy it. But we know from Galatians 5 that the spirit and the flesh are at odds with each other. They're in conflict with each other. And so there's a spiritual battle. In ourselves, our spirit longs to be intimate with God. But our flesh longs for all kinds of other appetites. And when we indulge our flesh and the lusts of the flesh, or even just carnal appetites, and they're soaring, our spirit's diminished, and our spirit is overwhelmed by that. And the reverse is also true. That's why fasting is a thing. Because when you fast, you, you make a decisive, active decision. I wanna put my spirit first. I wanna live for my spiritual connection with the Lord, and so I'm gonna subjugate my flesh. That's why fasting works. In your lives, you have many, many choices. You really must approach those choices consciously and deliberately. Make very clear, conscious choices of what you want and why you want it. Don't just let things happen because you'll find yourself, you go through these choices, these moments, these gates in your life, 
and choices will be made for you, just kind of by whatever feels natural. Be conscious about your decisions and remember your spirit and your flesh are at war. They're at conflict with each other. And so you make active choices. You know, this notion of intimacy with God and uh, pursuing intimacy with God is, there's a picture of that in the Song of Solomon, which is a story, a poem, poetic language about lovers. And the groom or the man represents Jesus and the woman represents the church. And at the beginning, the woman's you know, theme, the woman's cry, the church's cry is, he's mine. You know, she's, she's seen how wonderful he is. She loves him. But her emphasis is on herself, that, that he belongs to her. And then through the story, he leaves her and she feels this absence without him. And she cries, you know, return to me. She wants that feeling again of how it felt when he was with her. And this is why people talk about God's presence. Because sometimes you might feel like he's not with you. You might not have the sensation of his presence. You might not feel he's with you. He still is. But he sometimes withdraws that feeling. Why? so that you pursue him, so that you choose him, you go after him. You say, I miss you, I love you, I need you, come back to me. I wanna feel the way it feels to be with you again. When you feel his sense of withdrawal, it's not because you've done anything wrong, it's not because he's changed his mind about you. He feels exactly the same way about you. In a sense, he's provoking you. Chase me. Pursue me. Come after me. Just like he was provoking Moses. But make no mistake, he is with you. Now, I want to tell you a secret of life. Something I learned. That affects how you relate to God. And it's a secret because I only used to tell this to one person who was my best friend who passed away about a year ago in America. His name was Ty. And I'd lean over to Ty and I'd say, you know, Ty, I'm God's favorite. And he'd say, smiling, I know, so am I. <laughs> and his response was perfect because he completely understood the truth. The truth is, God loves each of you with such a specific, unique passion. You are his favorite. You know, Joseph received the, the multicolored coat, the striped coat from his father Jacob. And this coat symbolized that he was Jacob's favorite. And that's why his brothers detested him. And Joseph wore this coat you know, like a model. He owned it. He possessed it. And he moved around in it because he knew, I'm dad's favorite. Look at my coat. God has a coat for you to wear. 
And that coat, when you wear it, when you own it, when you know it in your heart, I'm God's favorite. It changes the way you pray to him. It changes the way you worship. It changes the way you approach life. You are God's favorite. Now, you can't know this from hearing it from me. I'm just giving you a roadmap. You know this when you, you know it from the Lord, when you hear it from the Lord. But I tell you it's true. You're God's favorite. And you know when Moses started to dream? It was after he got the coat. That's why the musical's called his Technicolor Dream Coat. You see, when you receive this uncompromising, unconditional love from the Lord, when you experience that and you know, oh, he loves me. He will go to the ends of the earth for me. That's very, very powerful. You approach that father that has this passion for you differently. You approach him and you expect him to do what you want because he loves you so much because you're his favorite. It's very, very powerful. When you get this sense of how much God loves you and that you're his favorite, you pursue him more. It's a wonderful feeling to be God's favorite. Each of you are God's favorite. He loves you specifically in an individual way. And I pray if every person in this tent had this revelation in your life that you are God's favorite, you could change the world, this group of people. It's, it's so empowering and so life-giving and changing. It's a secret of life. And you know, when we enjoy the Lord and enjoy intimacy with him, it's not just in the good times. He's with us all the time. He's with us in the good and the bad times. And intimacy with him can be so precious, comforting, and protecting when we go through difficult times. Uh, I learned this really firsthand when my daughter Lily, about two years ago, had heart failure. And it was out of the blue, and it was serious. And she was blue-lighted to the hospital, and I stayed in the hospital with her for two weeks. And every day, there were painful, difficult steps for her to take. And she cried her way through each of these steps. And I was with her every step of every day through this process. And at night, while she slept, I would cry to the Lord. I would pray and tell the Lord how much she was suffering and how much pain I felt as a result, how much I was suffering because of her suffering. And I had never experienced quite this amount of pain on behalf of somebody else in my life. And, and the Lord gave me a revelation as I was leaning my head on his chest, crying with him. Because you see, my tears weren't just on my own. I was intimate with him, like my best friend, crying with him. And he gave me a revelation and it was, Eric, if you feel the pain of your children and you suffer along with them so much, 
don't you think I feel your pain now? Don't you think I'm suffering along with you? And I felt the Lord crying along with me as I cried. And it was tremendously comforting to have that intimacy with the Lord in the midst of, of hardship and suffering and difficulty. And I learned even more about intimacy with God from my daughter Lily afterwards. And you know, two, two years on now, she's, she's doing extremely well, a healthy, beautiful girl. And now her memories of that time in hospital when she was in danger and crying and frightened, her memories of that time in hospital were now she had a great time with her daddy. That it was a special sweet time where her daddy was with her all the way. That's a picture. That's a picture of, of the power of having intimacy with the Lord during difficult times. When we feel intimate with the Lord, when we know we're his favorite, like David knew, we live differently. We worship extravagantly. I love the story of David dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant when it was coming back, and he's dancing in the equivalent of his underwear, making a fool of himself. He was the king, and he was beside himself with joy because when you know you're God's favorite and you're intimate with him, it's so enjoyable to worship him, and you're free. What does it matter what anybody else thinks? You're God's favorite. <laughs> his opinion matters most, right? Not anybody else's. And I think this picture of worship and enjoying intimacy is best illustrated in Revelations 4. And, and I think many of you will know uh, of this passage, the story of the 24 elders who are throwing their crowns down before the Lord. And you see what, and, and the sense is that they're continuously throwing their crowns down. And they're continuously throwing their crowns down because after they throw the crown down, the Lord picks it up and puts it back on their head. And this cycle that's happening when we worship is he puts a crown on your head and he says, oh, my son, my daughter, I love you so much. This is who you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. That's who you are. And I give you this area of authority, this crown on your head. And as we worship, we say, oh, Lord, you know, I'm not worthy of this. It's all about you. You are the almighty God. You love me. I love being loved by you. And I love you. I throw the crown down. And the Lord picks it up and says, oh, my gosh, you wreck me when you do that. No, this is who you are. It's a pleasure go round. We're delighting ourselves in him. He's delighting himself in us. It's frappin' awesome to worship the Lord. That's enjoying intimacy with the Lord. You know, the crown, I think about that. You need to receive the crown in order to be able to throw it down. And just as God has a coat for you to wear, which you wear every day, and you walk around in it, I'm God's favorite. 
he has a crown for you to wear and to throw down. And the crown is unique to you in many ways, but it has a, a central core component that's the same for everyone in the tent and everyone anywhere. It's that you're his. And even better, that you're his favorite. He puts this crown on your head. He says, this is who you are. Your identity gets formed through that process, just as your identity gets formed through the process of wrestling with him. But the crown also has an area of authority that you've been given, a gifting, part of who you are naturally, part of who he's made you spiritually, part of the gifts he's given you, part of the gifts he plans to give you, part of the opportunities he plans for you, an area of authority. And that area of authority always relates to an area of service, service to others and the church. It makes you a gift to the world, this crown. God's gift to the world. So we pursue intimacy because it's enjoyable. <laughs> it's enjoyable to be with the Lord, to know him. And we want to get to know him better. And he gives us this pleasure of worshiping him because he wants us to choose him over everything else. He wants us to choose a relationship with him and strengthening our spirits and being more intimate with him over our flesh. He wants us to make active choices and pursue him. And that's why he sometimes makes you feel like he's not around, to provoke you to chase him and pursue him. So what does this mean for us as a community in David's tent? Us as a people, we want to be people like Moses who put intimacy with the Lord first and pursue intimacy with him as our priority above everything else. We want to be a people like Moses who wrestle with God for ourselves and for others. People like Jacob who wrestled with God and as he wrestled, he got a new name, which was Israel, which means wrestles with God. We want to be a people who put intimacy with him first, who wrestle with the Lord for ourselves and others, a people who wear the coat, who know we're God's favorite, who receive the crown that he has for us, our identity in him. We are his, is how the Song of Solomon ends. It goes from he is mine to more mature progression, I belong to him. That's what defines me, I'm his. We wanna be people who burn for passion with him, who when we worship, we leave it all out on the field. We don't care who else is watching. And we don't just do it when we sing. We know that he's with us wherever we go. And we enjoy intimacy with him through good times and bad. We don't let hardship deter us or blessings distract us. Hardship can make you give up. Things can be hard. Things can be extremely difficult. That's what makes you stronger. 
wrestle all the more when it's hard. Be honest with the Lord and wrestle with him. Don't let hardship deter you and don't give up, ever. Never give up. That's the kind of people we are. Like Moses, we don't take no for an answer. Lord says, I'm leaving. No way. <laughs> Lord says, I'm gonna kill all these people. No, 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 don't do that. We don't take no for an answer. We pursue the Lord. We want that blessing from him. We want to be closer to him. That's the kind of people we are. And we delight ourselves in the Lord. We enjoy him. We take such pleasure in being with him. And he's with us in the good times and the bad. And we want him more than his blessings or his gifts. So his blessings don't distract us from the main show, which is being intimate with him. I wonder, have you received the coat that God has for you to wear? Do you know you're God's favorite? Have you received the crown that he has for you so you can throw it down and enjoy him putting it back on your head? So you can delight yourself in him? Get someone to pray with you if you don't if you're not confident about the answers to those two questions. Go to the prayer ministry tent. Get people to pray with you this weekend. Don't leave David's tent without a, a, a believing a little bit more. I'm God's favorite. About getting a little bit more swagger in your step. Wearing that coat. Don't leave without that step. And if you feel you're wrestling with the Lord but you want to wrestle a little harder, <laughs> go for it. Wrestle harder. We become the individuals God intends through a journey, a journey of experiences and interactions with the Lord, a journey of wrestling with the Lord. We get intimate with him through this journey of life. It's a journey and we need to be undeterred by hardship and undistracted by blessings, and we need to put him first. He's so good, and I know you all know that, that's why you're here, because you love worshiping him and you enjoy it. That is the foundation for everything, and that's why David's tent is so important. And, and that's why we should be unashamed about it's pleasurable, and he made it that way. So you taste and see that the Lord is good, and then you pursue him. So we have a few minutes left. I'm happy to take any questions, if anybody has a question that they'd like to ask. I know it can be daunting. There's a question here, please. When, the question is, what about when this doesn't work? And by doesn't work, you mean when you don't feel like his favorite? Or you mean things don't go your way in life? Yeah, so the question is, what about when you have extreme suffering and pain and you, you don't experience this pleasure? It's, it's a good question. Um, in my talk last year, I talked about how I lost my wife just under two years ago. She passed away. 
I know what it's like to lose my loved one and to, to know suffering. And I know what it's like to delight myself in the Lord in the midst of suffering, to sing to him in the middle of the storm. You see, when bad things, when bad things happen and things go wrong, what the devil loves to do, and it's very counterintuitive, there's no logic to it at all, the devil loves to come and whisper to you and say, it's God's fault, run away from him. Run away from the only person who can help you. <laughs> How much sense is that? So bad things have happened, blame God, and turn away from the only one who loves you and can help you. That's the devil's advice. And when you run away from God, you're not wrestling with him. You're turning your back on him like the teenager storms out of the house. You stay in the conversation with the Lord. And you go through the pain. You know, I've learned God doesn't take the pain away. That, that's my, my experience. You go through the pain, but he's with you in the pain. And he comforts you in the midst of the pain. And... You know, throughout my life, when things have gone wrong, or I've been disappointed, even little things where I haven't got what I wanted, I would say to the Lord, I want to return on this. It's like if I'm going to fall on the floor and skin my knee and get hurt, what can I learn from what's happened? How can you bless me in some way from what's happened? And I'm like a little kid grabbing onto God's trouser leg, my daddy, saying, don't leave me without being blessed. You see, when you suffer, it's like buying a ticket to see a movie. Go and see the friggin' movie. If you suffer in life, look for the blessing. Look for how God can redeem it. Look for how he can turn it around. He's, it so pleases him. Because you see, to do that means I have faith that he can turn this around. God loves it when we have faith. And I hope that he will turn it around. I'm putting my hope in his unfailing love. And I'm treating him as though I'm his favorite. And he's gonna work everything together for my good because I love him. So, I haven't suffered as much as many people in the world have suffered and many, many, many people suffer terribly every day. And I, I wish we could all do more about that. What I know is, when we honestly seek the Lord, the Bible says, whoever honestly seeks him will find him. And I do believe he provides comfort. And I hope I've equipped you with some truths today to encourage you, to strengthen you, so that you can stand in the more difficult times, knowing that God is with you, knowing that you're his favorite, and I hope I've challenged you in the good times to not be distracted by his blessings and his promises away from the great value and pleasure of just he himself and being intimate with him. I don't want his presence. I want him. He alone will satisfy. We love you all. We love the Davis Tent community. We're so thankful that you 
you come and you pour your hearts out and you support it. And we hope you'll leave feeling taller and stronger, more loved and more confident that your Father in heaven has a fiery, passionate, uncompromising love for you. So you can be real with him and wrestle with him. And through that process, you'll become the individuals you are meant to be. And only then can our community become what it is intended to be, because it's made up of individuals. Only as you become the individuals you're meant to be, can your churches at home become what they were meant to be, your neighborhoods, your families. You becoming the person God intends you to be has a huge impact all around you. And that journey is one of pursuing intimacy with the Lord and wrestling with him and understanding how much he loves you. And we move from there. God bless you. Thank you for the time today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about David's Tent and how you can get involved, check out davistent.net.